0: Thank you for tuning in to the Meridian Friends Church podcast. Be sure to subscribe so you never miss any of the sermons posted each week. You can also find more information about our church at www.meridianfriends.org or on Facebook or Instagram by searching Meridian Friends Church. Now, enjoy the sermon. I'm going to invite you to turn with the Bible to Matthew chapter 5. And I want to continue with part 7 of our series on the Beatitudes. And we're looking today specifically at Jesus' words, blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called the children, the sons and daughters of God. A question was asked earlier in the service, one that I've been thinking about a little bit with a bit of shame. What silly things did you fight about with your siblings (laughs) growing up? And for me, and For the brother closest to me in age, two and a half years apart, it was countless, (laughs) a countless number of things. I mean, for instance, which cushion of the couch we sat on and who had to sit in the middle between cushions and which car seat it was and which dessert was bigger. And it just never ended whether you crossed my space. On and on, he touched me, he touched me first. <laughs> and Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers. What a challenge for us. Because as we grow up, it's not necessarily the same kinds of things, but human nature is still the same for us as adults. And one of the interesting things about sibling rivalries is that we tend to get over them, I believe, because we have to share the same house with that person at the end of the day. And you just sort of have to work it out somehow and keep moving forward. But as we become adults, if we let conflict go unresolved, if we don't deal with things, if we don't lovingly confront and discuss and and work things through and forgive, we don't have to go into the same house as it were the same night and it becomes more complicated. And time isn't always the healer of all wounds, wouldn't you agree? Peacemaking is something that God calls us to do. He calls us to this life together of mending fences. So as I begin this message, I want to invite you to think about somebody that perhaps you feel some conflict with. I know that that's not a fun thing to think about in church, but I honestly believe church is the best time to think about it. Because hopefully your blood pressure is not raised at this moment and you're not in the heat of an argument that i'm interrupting with this sermon maybe i am (laughs) but this is the time to draw back and to say jesus what would you say to me about the relationships that i really struggle with in my life i just finished a series of messages i started them in january Uh, there was a five-week series on conflict resolution and so I'm not going to go too deeply into all of that, but what's the difference between forgiveness and reconciliation and all those difficult things we're called to do, and I'd encourage you to look at that resource online if that would be helpful for you. But this morning, I want to talk about Jesus' words, Blessed are the Peacemakers, as part of this series, and as we open to Matthew and chapter 5, we know that what we're looking at is the introduction to the Sermon on the Mount. This is the the central part of Jesus' teaching. And the Beatitudes are a summary, if you will. They weave their way all through the rest of the Sermon the uh, Sermon on the Mount. This is a summary of what Jesus prioritized in terms of teaching for us. So with that, would you stand with me as you're able? And I'd like us to read once more what Jesus had to say about living in this world and at the kingdom at the same time. Because great is your reward in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Lord, and may we be even partially as faithful as your prophets, that we may somehow be blessed because we stand for you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. And I am so very, very thankful. I want to share with you three different lessons that I think rise from these simple words of peacemaking in the scripture and God's attached promise to it that somehow the world's going to recognize the family resemblance. You'll be called sons and daughters of God if you are this kind of a person in your daily life, if you're a person who makes peace. The first thing that I think I want to say about this is, is simply... Jesus is describing peace in this way. He's describing peace as a goal. He's describing peace as something to be pursued. Notice, of course, Jesus says peace makers. In the Greek, this is a compound word. Irene is a word for peace that's used commonly in the New Testament. Uh, peace, Irene, has to do with God's reign, it has to do with kingdom living, the reign of Jesus, the kingdom of Jesus in our lives. His territory isn't geography, his territory is our hearts. So the reign of Jesus is a reign of peace. I was just thinking about that while we were worshiping this morning. And beautiful lyrics. And David, thank you for sharing your heart with us and musicians, for sharing your time, your energy, your gifts. See, they, are, they have gone way above and beyond, <laughs> uh, all of our musicians. Uh, Lynn Smith was in there uh, on the keyboard in the fellowship hall as well. Uh, as you shared your heart with us about worship and, and why it's so important, you said that sometimes, they, oftentimes, I guess all the time, these lyrics share your heart. You're choosing songs that reflect where you're coming from. And you were talking about God being a good, good father. And then in the song, it says he's perfect in everything that he does. I'm just thinking about that. The love that I have for my kids as a father goes beyond fighting over couch cushions, (laughs) over what space is mine, what I'm entitled to and what you're entitled to. Something happens. I mentioned this last week. When you become a parent, your, your heart just expands and it grows in a way that you just can't understand. So for God to reveal himself as father to us, it says so much about the peace relationship, the wholeness, the completeness that he desires with us. So notice it's a compound word. It's peace and it's peace Makers, it's something that is not passive. At the outset, when the United States first entered World War I, the president of Columbia University sent out a questionnaire to all of his staff, and he asked the, the faculty what they proposed to do to help out with the war effort for World War I. And one faculty member simply wrote, mind my own business. And this of course was a pacifist on the staff, of Columbia University at this time. Well, that may be something that a pacifist does, but that is not something that a peacemaker does. And I think we need to think about the difference. Jesus said, blessed are those who are peacemakers. He's not describing a disposition of being a peaceful person. Notice the beatitude does not say, blessed are the peaceful. He's talking about an action. He's saying blessed are those who make peace who incorporate this into their lives in some way that initiates peace where there's brokenness peace making what is our role in peace making the scripture describes peace this way first peter 3 says seek peace and pursue it you see that we're not just going to back up and do nothing to provoke and say that we're peacemakers that, that's a good step, by the way. But it's not everything. Blessed are those who make peace, who, who pursue it. The author of Hebrews says, make every effort to live at peace with everyone. And there's some irony in these First Peter words and in these Hebrew words. The same word is used there for pursue and make every effort. And often that word in the Greek is, has a negative connotation. So in other words, you're attacking something, you're, you're going after something. You know, the people who were the first readers and hearers of these words in the first century were people who were being persecuted, who were being attacked. And honestly, I, I think the authors had this in mind. They were turning the tables. They were saying, look, you're persecuted and you're attacked. And if you want to attack something in retaliation, attack peace. Think about that. This is Jesus' way. It's not to turn around and to attack our persecutors. It's not to turn around and retaliate and be violent against those who are violent against us. But instead, make this your goal, make this your pursuit. There's something for you and I to do with this to initiate making peace. In the 5th century, the monk Telemachus, who had been living by himself in the desert, trying to devote himself to God, decided that he really couldn't serve God without serving other people. He abandoned his life of solitude and he traveled to the city of Rome, arriving just in time to watch a victory celebration where Gothic prisoners were being forced to battle one another to death as gladiators. Ironically, Rome considered itself a Christian city by this time, but the churches is empty to see this bloody spectacle. Now, when the monk, Telemachus, who decided that his call in life to follow Jesus, his call to be a peacemaker was more than just withdrawing, but getting into the arena. When the monk saw the crowd of 80,000 roaring from the blood of the two gladiators as they fought each other, he was horrified. Do you know what happens? Are you familiar with Telemachus? Telemachus leapt into the arena and placed himself between the two gladiators, pleading with them to stop the conflict. Furious over the delay in their entertainment, the spectators stoned Telemachus to death. Three days later, the emperor declared him a martyr and did away with the gladiatorial contests for good. Peacemaking. Not just somehow assuming that it's our job to withdraw and not be involved, but peacemaking that is costly for us. I think this is why we bristle at, well, we bristle at all these. Have we seen that? We bristle at all of these Beatitudes. They're all so difficult for us. Jesus, what do you mean I'm happy when I'm sad and when I'm mourning that I'm really full? And what does that mean? We bristle at peacemaking because we know fundamentally that peacemaking is costly. We know that peacemaking is difficult. We we know that it's going to demand something from us. And I mentioned this, I just find myself saying it over and over in these Beatitudes, that there are many fans of Jesus, but not many followers of Jesus. And that maybe, you know, we assume people don't follow Jesus because they don't understand what Jesus is asking for, but maybe... They don't follow Jesus because they do understand what Jesus is asking for. He's saying, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Peacemaking, whatever else it is, it's a goal and it's a pursuit. And by the way, it is everywhere in the New Testament. It is not overstated to say it is a major, major theme of the old testament it's so thick in the culture of the old uh, in the new did i say old testament new testament's everywhere in the new testament and it's thick everywhere in the old testament as well you're familiar with the hebrew word shalom right it has to do with completeness and wholeness and put togetherness and man it's like what's happened since COVID is like the opposite of shalom <laughs> am i right everything feels disconnected Everything feels scattered. Everything feels in disarray. Nothing necessarily in the world feels like peace. And and I want to say to the church, church, this is our chance. Because there's a lot of things to be put back together right now. There's a lot of hearts that know that they're hungry, that they're empty, that they're needy. And, and we're not called to just be on the sidelines and avoid provoking other people and saying, therefore, we're peacemakers because we're not like those people who are provoking other people. We're called to somehow step into the arena when we know it's going to cost us something to absorb the penalty of what's going on here. Are you with me? Peace is a goal to be pursued. In fact, it's something to be attacked in the word of Scripture, ironically, attack peace. Second thing I see here is that, oh, by the way, Mark 9:50. It's really interesting stuff. Mark 9:50. Jesus says, you know, we've really lost our influence in this world that we're trying to impact. Our saltiness. Uh, if somehow we lose who we are as Christians, he says, have salt among yourselves and be at peace with each other. It's just interesting to me. I just wanna leave this point with this one statement. It's interesting to me that Jesus is not saying, be at peace with gladiators, be at peace with the government, be at at peace with your enemies. How about just starting with each other, disciples? (laughs) Maybe the gladiators aren't our arena. Maybe it's not as big and global and dramatic as that in your life today. But can't we all think of somebody that we know of where the relationship needs our investment and our care and our work in our personal lives. I just like how Jesus narrows the focus. Yeah, you wanna be salt to the whole earth. You wanna be light to the whole earth. You wanna be a witness to everybody. But how about just getting along with each other? Isn't that a great start? I think it does start with our siblings, doesn't it? I think it does start with the person next to you in the row, (laughs) whomever that is that you're close to in life. It starts right there. I like to say, if it doesn't work at home, don't export it, right? So church, if we can't figure out this peacemaking thing by ourselves, let's not advertise it outside of the world to be salt of the world. Okay, it's a goal to be pursued for sure. Peace is also an offer to be received. As I was looking at peace passages, I found something really interesting in Matthew chapter 10, just a few pages later. And here's Jesus. He's sending out his disciples to be salty in the earth, to be light. He's sending them out in Matthew 10. And in verse 12, he says this. So, so you're going out with the message now, right? You are exporting it. He says, as you enter a given home, give it your greeting. By the way, what, what is the greeting they would have given in Hebrew? Shalom, right? Give it your greeting. So this is, this is good manners, by the way. This is what everybody did. Is they said shalom. But I think Jesus is doing more than teaching good manners here. He says, give it your shalom. If the home is deserving, let your shalom rest on it. Isn't that an interesting phrase? Have you ever noticed that? Now, if the home is deserving, let your shalom rest on it. If it's not, let your peace return to you. Now, this is the one you're familiar with. If anyone, is not, if anyone will not welcome you or listen to your words, leave that home or town and shake the dust off your feet. That's, that's the phrase we're more used to, right? So if somebody's not going to accept the message of the gospel, it's okay to move on. It's their choice. Do what you can as a peacemaker. We're trying to reconcile people to God. Do what you can. But it's not up to you completely to make peace you know that? We can do everything that we can do, and still, it may not have the result that we wish we could see. And I love this picture of Jesus saying, freely give, be the one who steps out there and takes the risk, and give that home, give those people your peace. Let them see it. Let them hear it. Let them understand that's the message. By the way, the message that the disciples have as they go out there is not you guys go make peace. It's you guys receive peace. Are you with me? Honestly, that's what we're trying to promote in the world is encouraging others to receive the peace of God. Jesus already made the peace, right? Just, just a side note. So as peacemakers, we, we go out there with a message. We go to a home and let's say they don't receive it, Jesus says. He actually says they're not worthy of your shalom. So let your peace return to you. And what I couldn't help but think of is the, a dove as a symbol of peace. Now a dove's been a symbol of peace actually for thousands of years. Uh, church historians all the way back to 300 years had, had associated peace with a dove. And of course it goes back to Genesis. We know that uh, Noah built the ark and rescued humanity and God's creation through animals and all this. And, and after so much time of this curse that God put on the earth of the flood, he sends a dove out because God says, that, you know, land's going to dry up, so send this dove out. So he sends a dove out. And when the dove finally comes back an what is it? An olive branch. And actually, in the Hebrew, it's, a, it's an olive leaf. But somehow in the Greek, it's a branch. So... But it doesn't sound the same to extend the olive leaf, so we'll go with the branch. We know culturally that's what we've gotten used to. But he comes back with a part of the olive tree, and what does that show? There's dry ground out there. But what does it show? It shows that God's punishment for sin is, is forgiven. And there's peace. And God promises with the rainbow never again to exact that punishment against the earth, which we all deserve. And so it's God's peace making. And of course, the dove is a symbol of Jesus' baptism of the Holy Spirit. What I couldn't help think of when when Jesus said these words, "If, if the home is accepting and worthy, let your peace, your shalom rest on it. And if it isn't, let your peace return to you. And what I thought of was this dove returning. When we make a plea to other people for peace, when we sacrificially do our part humbly. And we know we've done that. We've done everything we can in kindness and sincerity and love in serving someone else for that relationship. And they reject it. I love this picture that it's okay for that dove to come back it doesn't have any place to land to come back to you. And shalom does mean wholeness. It means completeness. And isn't there an incompleteness in our heart? in our emotions, in our soul. Isn't there an incompleteness when our relationships are fractured? Isn't there an incompleteness when we know the Holy Spirit is saying, there's something I need to do and I don't do it? There's no shalom. There's no peace. We are are to release. We're, We're to give. We're to offer our peace outside of ourselves. And then... It's up to that one or that group if it's going to be received. And I wonder if we couldn't just, I don't know, somehow enjoy the peace of God regardless of someone else's response to it. And just know that when we prayerfully have done every every everything we can, make every effort to live at peace with everyone, all these absolute terms of Scripture, when we've done all that, when, when we've made it our goal and we've pursued it and we've released it, we've let the dove fly and it's painful to let it go. And, and when we offer that peace on someone else, I, I wonder if, if even though they don't accept it, you could let God bring that peace back. Peace is an offer to be received. The other thing I need to say, and and maybe this is the most important point, is that peace at the end of the day is it's a grace of God I'm so thankful because I don't think it's in any of us in our humanness and our fallen sinful condition to be all that we want to be in terms of peacemakers i. It's just, we fall really short of shalom in this world, have you noticed? And and it's not just the world around the church, it's the church. It's you and me. It's siblings that like to fight with each other over the dumbest things. And so often, the argument, we don't even remember what the issue was over time. It's, It's just, we don't even remember we just know that we're carrying bitterness in our heart. We're, we're, we don't have shalom. We don't have the peace that Jesus offers to us. And so I'm so thankful to stand before you here today and tell you that God is the initiator of any permanent peace. You, you can be a wonderful negotiator. I mean, even in the Middle East, in, in, in great, huge racial conflict, any kind of situation, you can have a wonderful technique. But peacemaking is not about technique. It's about Jesus Christ coming into this world in the flesh and bearing and absorbing as a peacemaker, stepping into the arena and absorbing the penalty of sin. God the Father vindicated Christ in his resurrection. And Christ is alive and he's risen. And he offers freely. He's done everything that a peacemaker needs to do. Someone in a small group a couple weeks ago mentioned that these eight beatitudes are really eight descriptions of the life Jesus lived. That's a really interesting way to think about the beatitudes, and I think that's right. Jesus did everything that was needed to make peace in this world, and It's a matter of whether we choose to receive the peace that Christ is offering. Did you know that today is seven weeks past our Easter resurrection celebration? Did you know that? This time seemed to move fast. (laughs) In some ways it does. Sometimes it just creeps along and other times it's like, wait a minute. So today on the traditional church calendar, it's known as Pentecost Sunday. And we've gone all the way through this season of Easter. Did you know Easter tide is, well, really seven weeks long. First week of Easter is Easter. And so now we're entering a different season. And I chose this series on the Beatitudes with this in mind. What, what, what difference does it make that Jesus is risen? He wants to rule and reign in our lives Right now, eternal life begins as we receive the gift that he offers us so freely as a peacemaker. And and he longs to to be the Lord of our lives, for us to surrender and to live into this kind of experience and this kind of reality and this kind of life, even here and now. That's, That's what Jesus longs for us, and he makes that offer to us. Have you accepted the gift? Jesus offers. There's nothing any of us can do to make peace with God in and of our own payment plan of being good enough. The other part of good, good father is you're perfect in all your ways. You're perfect in all of your ways. And he chooses us to be daughters and sons. And to so live into this calling that we're given to be people who receive peace and who offer peace. But it all starts with the grace of God himself. We don't deserve it. It's it's the only way to fill this reservoir that that we can hope to be a channel to give it out to somebody else. In about nine minutes, I'm going to invite us to observe a time of open worship. That's a time of we just set it aside, not planned or programmed by us, to listen to God's voice among us. People may speak, there may be silence either way. Our goal is to listen to what God's saying to us personally, individually. So perhaps you would be thinking about what is a, an arena that God calls me to get off the sidelines and get into the arena? What, what is a way that I'm called to make peace with someone else? That would be a practical thing, but however the Spirit leads you, use that time. For the next eight minutes though, I want to show a video, something different. And this is a video that I showed to you if you were here on Good Friday. And I don't know if I've ever been more moved by a video, especially an eight-minute video, that to me captures this incredible sense of the grace of God in laying down his life for you and me. I showed it on Good Friday service and I'm still hearing about it from people. I know there's a lot of you that haven't seen it. So if you've seen it before, be like me and just cry through the whole thing again. But think about what Jesus did for us and then we'll move to a time where we'll whatever lack of peace we brought to this place. We confess that all of our hope is in you. Teach us to be people who pursue the right things. Help us in our human nature that so wants to just avoid. Where there's conflict or pain or difficulty. Jesus, help us to be your disciples in this world. Help us to resemble our Father, who is our ultimate peacemaker. In Jesus' name we ask.